0: Alright, well hey, good morning, Providence. Uh, my name is Andrew, I serve here at the church as one of the pastors. And uh, if you got a Bible, or you got your phone on you, if you would go to Joel chapter 2, it was just read for us. Joel chapter 2, we're going to be in the end of the chapter for this morning. But uh, let me begin just with prayer. Father, you are, uh, you are good to speak to us. Uh, We pray now for your presence. We pray that your spirit would uh, do something unique in us as individuals and as us as a people. God, we pray for uh, sharp minds and soft hearts. Would you give us minds to understand the truths that you're going to teach us this morning and hearts to be shaped by it uh, and to draw us into worship more. God, we need you to do this and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. I uh, I grew up in Norfolk, Nebraska, uh, which I've probably said before. Now I know that if you are from Omaha, uh, saying that is like saying I'm from small town Nebraska, right? I know all the Omaha people think this is tiny town out in western Nebraska, but I will say this: if you're from a place like Atkinson, like where Jared's from, we're the big city. Like, I, so I'm kind of I'm basically a big city kid. Uh, it's like twenty five thousand, but you know we had like a, a super Walmart and a Target, okay? We had the mall. We had like a Taco Bell and a Taco John's. They were like four blocks from each other. It was a crazy town. So, uh, so I'm from Norfolk. I grew up there, um, and my family moved there because uh, growing up, my dad, he, uh, he managed some different uh, kind of department stores, and so uh, oftentimes what he would do is he would go to new stores, and he would help manage the floor and help get them going, and so my family would travel around a little bit growing up, uh, and they landed in Norfolk. Now, oftentimes, what would happen is uh, my mom and I we would go out to his store uh, just to kind of visit him, hang out, and uh, these trips they usually consisted of me just kind of asking for anything I saw. So, like every time, it was like, "Hey, can I get an Xbox? Can I have new basketball shoes? I want the baseball cards." I mean, I was incredibly annoying for my mom. I was like a hyper eight-year-old who just wanted. Everything. I was like, I want this and this and this. She's like, those are razors. You're eight years old. And I'm like, I want three of them, right? Like I just, anything I saw, I mean, it was just annoying. Now, I remember one time that we were out there. I was probably being annoying and uh, I was wandering around uh, and suddenly after a little bit, I kind of looked around and I realized that I had completely lost both my mom and my dad. You ever do this as a kid where you're wandering around somewhere and all of a sudden you realize your parents aren't anywhere. Now, as a kid, it is shocking how quickly that builds up fear and anxiety in your life, right? I mean, it just I looked around, realized they weren't there and instantly was anxious and afraid. Now, I had been in that store probably tens, maybe hundreds of times. Like I knew the people that worked there, I knew the aisles, like I could tell you where everything was. This was incredibly familiar to me. But I had never been in that store alone, right? Like, I never talked to anybody without my parents being present. I would never run around without knowing exactly where my parents were. And instantly, when I felt alone, everything in that store got scary. It felt like everything was going to hurt me. Everything was harmful. And I became afraid. I mean, the people that are incredibly nice seemed really scary, Right, like the, the store just felt like it got huge and like it was impossible to navigate. This place that I knew like the back of my hand became so foreign to me so quickly. Without my parents' presence, I quickly was simply filled with anxiety and worry. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you as a child, but it's just crazy how the simple presence of your parents can radically alter the view we have of our surroundings. Right? Just by them being present, it completely changed how I saw everything. Now, if I may take that just one step deeper, I wonder if any of you kind of feel that way just about life in general sometimes. You ever feel that? Like you just kind of, uh, maybe loneliness kind of creeps in. It kind of feels like you've got no parent or guardian or close friend around at all. And it just feels like you're running through life without the presence of anyone. And, And anxiety and worry and fear just begins to plague you. They become marks of your life. You know, I was only lost for a handful of minutes. Right, like after just a couple minutes, one of the my dad's coworkers found me, uh, and I may or not may not have been crying at that point, but I was most most definitely screaming and bawling. So I was pretty easy to find, except for my parents, apparently. But this lady gets me, and she says, "Hey, can I can I take you back to your dad?" And so she brings me back, she guides me, and she gets me to my dad. And it's crazy how in that moment, just like that, everything went back to normal. Right? The fear was gone, the anxiety was gone, everything seemed smaller and familiar. And just because of the presence of my dad, I suddenly saw everything differently. And this morning, I wonder how many of us are running through life scared, anxious, worried, because we are lacking the, the deep and the real presence of God how maybe everything in our surroundings seem foreign and scary because we don't have the presence of God in our lives. I wonder if you you feel that at all this morning. I mean my guess would be that that some in the room feel that today. You're here and you want to know if God is close to you, if God is near to you, if God is still real in your life. I would also guess that there's some of you in here today that you're here, but maybe life's kind of on cruise control, things seem just fine, and you haven't felt a a striving for the presence of God in maybe a long time, or maybe ever. But what I want us to see from our text in Joel 2 is that there is no greater promise of God, no greater blessing from God, no greater satisfaction in our soul's from God, and there's no greater news to us than that God wants to be present in our lives. There's nothing better than the fact that God wants to be present in our lives. And so that's my simple goal for us this morning. And that's my goal because I think if, if we were Joel's original audience, if we were the first ones hearing this message from Joel, I think they would have heard this and they would have longed for the presence of God. I think they might have been confused around the mystery of God's presence, but they would have desired it. They would have longed for it. And the good news for us this morning is that God promises that to us. So my hope this morning is simply this, that we would all leave here longing for the presence of God. We would long from our souls for God's presence. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at this text, and we're going to split it up in two kind of chunks. The first two verses, uh, we're going to need to recognize the promise, all right? In the last three verses, we're going to need to receive the promise, all right? So we're going to recognize the promise and receive the promise. If you got a Bible, if you're there, Joel 2, I'm going to start in verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit." All right, so uh, you guys remember where we're at in the book of Joel so far. For uh, maybe some of you, if you've missed, or the 90% of you that are still trying to get your head around, like the locusts, or maybe you're still confused why God says he's going to have wine overflowing. I know that's a little bit tricky for some of us, but he said it. That's all in Joel, so let me, let me just catch you up to where we're at so far. So the first little bit, we looked at how God is going to judge the world for sin and evil and wickedness, which is a good and great thing, albeit terrifying. But it's a good thing. God's going to judge the world, rid it of evil. And then, last week, Jared showed us that when Israel does repent, when they heed God's warning and they repent, God actually blesses them by restoring all the things that they lost in this plague and in this judgment. You see, God had promised them land. He promised them that they would be a people He promised them that they would be a blessing to the nations. These are covenant promises to his people. And all of those were in danger. All of those were in danger by this plague. But when they repent, God shows his faithfulness by giving all of it back to them. Yet God was not done yet. He was going to promise one more thing. You see, in verses 28 and 29 that we just read... He says that he promises that he is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now, Joel, if you notice, Joel uses similar language in these two sections. Uh, he said in, in Jared's text last week that he pours out rain so that all their material blessings can come back. That's how he kind of re, or he gives them all their promises back. But now he says in verse 28 I will pour out, not rain, but I will pour out my spirit. The rain will give you the physical blessings, but my spirit is going to give you something else. So I think the the question then is, what is the ultimate promise that God is giving his people? If the rain and the physical blessings are one thing, what is the promise of the coming spirit give to his people? And I do want to say, I think it's, easy for us when we read passages like this, or maybe uh, when we flip to the New Testament and we hear about God's Spirit, uh, I think it's easy for us to get a little bit confused uh, or maybe a little bit enamored by some of these things. I mean, when, I, when we read these two verses, what were some of the things that caught your attention? Right? I, I would assume maybe it's, okay, he's going to pour out his Spirit, but then People are going to prophesy, and people are going to dream dreams and see visions, and and we read these things, and we kind of get enamored by them, and we get kind of focused on them, or we flip to the New Testament. We think about God's Spirit today, and we think, okay, God's Spirit, that means there's like crazy miracles and speaking in tongues and all these kind of supernatural weird things that make us conservative Midwesterners a little bit uncomfortable, right? I mean, isn't that what we kind of assume when we think of God's Spirit, Well, I think God does do incredible and supernatural things even today. I think that God's spirit, when it is present, when he is present, that crazy things do happen. But I I don't think that that's the main promise of God. I don't think the main promise of God in giving us his spirit is so that crazy acts can happen to you and through you. I want us to recognize this morning that the better promise, the true and the ultimate promise of God... Through His Spirit, because at this point in history, uh, when, when Joel is speaking this to his people, um, the idea of God's Spirit dwelling with His people are very—it's very foreign to them. Like at this point, God's Spirit didn't dwell in His people; He didn't live inside of them. In fact, the idea of God's presence being that close to them uh, was not this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling like we might have today. It was—it was scary. For them, right? They they knew that they were sinners and that God had made it very clear his holiness and his glory could not be in their presence. And so it was only through a few leaders. Once a year they got to actually go into the presence of God, but that presence was scary. It was, it was a little bit distant. So all the people of God, they just kind of wished that God would stay present. They kind of hoped that God would not leave them. They hoped that God would still love them, but there was a distance between them. Yet Joel, in our passage, says no longer. He says, one day it will no longer be that God's people will be distant from him. In Providence, I think that of all the promises, really in the Bible, and specifically in Joel, that we see there is no greater promise than this passage right here. So hear me when I say this, the, the pinnacle promise of God is the personal presence of God. The, the pinnacle promise that God makes to his people is the personal presence of God with his people. I'll say this a thousand different ways, so we, we feel this, right? God's pinnacle promise is God's personal Presence. It is the ultimate promise that God can give. The earth-shattering thing about Joel 2, 28 and 29 is not that there's going to be some prophets and visions and dreams. Like, in fact, honestly, if we were to look at that, really what Joel is doing there is he's just stealing Scripture from Numbers 12, where God says, I will prove my spirit is on you by my prophets seeing visions and dreams, So really, Joel is just taking that. I don't think it's prescriptive that this has to happen. He's just saying, just like in the old times, how God proved his people by spirit, God's going to do the same thing, but now not to just the spiritual elite, but to everybody. God's spirit will actually dwell in us. He will actually give us his very presence. So think back to my initial story. Um, when I was lost in this store, you know, in that moment when I felt scared or when I felt in danger, in that moment, I no longer wanted all of this stuff from my parents, right? If you've been in that moment, like you, you know, I no longer wanted the Xbox. Like I didn't care about my allowance. I didn't want food. I didn't want the new baseball cards. Like I didn't care about any of that stuff. I simply wanted my parents back, Right? Like that's, all, that's all I truly wanted in that moment. Everything would be better if just my parents' presence was with me. And I wonder this morning, do you feel that way about God? Do you feel that way about God where you could say, I don't care if there's anything else you give me, I just want your presence. And I, think it's a, I think it's a tragedy that when we read passages like Joel 2, 18 through 32. So last week's text and this week's text. I, th- I think it's soul-crushing that when we read those two, we get more excited about last week's than we do this week's. Like we get more excited about the idea of God maybe giving us physical blessings than we do about God giving us his actual presence. So um, here's what I mean. Jared talked about last week. He said that there are times when God will give you physical blessings in this world, material things in this world. There are times when God will do that, and I think if we're honest, in our souls, we long for that. Right? We're kind of okay with God if he would just keep blessing us in our earthly life, that if he would just keep giving us good things. So, so think for a moment. If God were to give you whatever you wanted in this world, What would it be? Something in this world. What would it be if God were to give you anything you wanted in this world? What would it be? Maybe a a spouse, a family, a better job, a job at all, more money, better investments, bigger retirement, better reputation, more approval, more safety, more security, more comfortability, more freedom, more wealth, more health. Or what is it for you? What's the thing that you would say, man, if God would just give me this in this life? What do you really, really want from God? Now ask yourself, will you be okay if God says no? Like honestly, would you be okay if God gives you none of that? Like if all you want is more money and God says no. If all you want is just a spouse and God says no. If all you want is just a better job or a higher career ceiling and God says no. I think that most of us, myself included, would really struggle to honestly say, yeah, I am great with that. And that if God gave me nothing in this world but just himself, I am good. You know, I think we oftentimes, we we, we do want God, but we also want some of his stuff. I think there's a good desire that we want, we want to experience him, but we also kind of want to experience the American dream. Right, like we want to be all in for God, but we also kind of want to be all in for our own life goals. And, And let me say this morning that Man, if God does bless you with material things, if he does give these things to you, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? Like praise God for his kindness in your life. But if not, right, if he says no to some of these things, if he, if he doesn't give you the worldly things that you are desiring, it may not mean that he is just mean or vindictive or against you, I think sometimes it simply means that he wants you to want him. That he'll withhold whatever your heart longs for so that your heart can long for him. I think sometimes we need to feel a little lost to realize we don't want the Xbox as much as we want our dad's presence. Right? I think sometimes we need to feel a little scared. To realize we don't need the new shoes as much as we need our hand held by our father's hand. Providence. I think sometimes we suffer and we hurt to realize that the presence of God is actually the greatest promise and gift that He could actually give us. And if that if that is you this morning, if you're if you're feeling maybe hurt or uh, in pain or you're suffering, I want you to know that God is not aloof to your situation. He's not absent from your pain. But this morning he is offering you the greatest thing he could offer you and that is his ever present self. I think Joel is showing us in this chapter that the pinnacle promise of God is not that he's going to restore physical things to you. The pinnacle promise of God is the personal presence of God with his people. Do you Do you long for that? Is that deep in your soul, do you have this longing for just God to be near to you? Are you okay if he says no to everything else as long as he says yes to being near? I think Joel wants us to know and recognize that the ultimate promise of God is himself. is his spirit in us. Now, if that's true then Joel is going to finish this section by not just saying that you need to recognize that that is the pinnacle, that that's the greatest thing God could do, but your heart should start to say, okay, I I want that. I want to receive that promise. So let's look at Joel 2, starting in verse 30 through 32, as he's going to tell us how we can receive the promise of God's presence. Verse 30. Well, once again, I think we can read that section too and get a little bit enamored by some of the signs and wonders, right? We see blood and fire and the moon and, and darkness and all these kind of things. And I think we can just get confused and kind of in wonder of these things. But, but again, let me press to kind of get out of the weeds a little bit and just press what I think the main point Joel is making here. You see, I think in Joel 30 and 31 of chapter 2, He is looking forward to what we today are still looking forward to. All right, so these two verses, I think we are still looking forward to this, and it's the the final day of judgment when Jesus returns. I think he's looking at this. The, The images that we see here, they're they're common apocalyptic type end times language of when the end will come. Now, verse 32 says that. On that day, there will be some who escape. He calls them the the survivors, right? That when God's judgment comes down against all wickedness, evil, sin, when he rids the world of that once and for all, he said there's going to be some who escape. There's going to be some that are survivors. Now, in my mind, I read that, and my very first question is, Well, who in the heck can survive then, right? Like if if one side is fire and smoke and death and the other side is escape and surviving, it's pretty clear, right? Like we want to survive. We want to escape the judgment. So the question then is, well, who can escape this great and awesome day of the Lord? And to answer that, I actually want to quote the very first Christian sermon ever given. Did you, do you think about that? That I mean, we give sermons every week, every Sunday, all around the world for 2,000 years, but did you ever think that there was, there was a first one after Jesus ascended into heaven? There was a first Christian sermon, and you'll never guess that that sermon, the very first one that we know is the first sermon, you'll never guess what text it's over. Joel 2, right? I would have thought maybe like Genesis 1 or Psalm 23 or something sweet, but he goes Joel 2 verses 28 through 32, and it's found in Acts chapter 2, and so if you've got a Bible, I actually want you to flip there. Go Acts chapter 2, it's in the New Testament, and this is right after Jesus raises uh, from the dead, ascends into heaven, and Acts 2 is kind of a, a famous chapter in the Bible, so what happens is, uh, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out, note the language, on his people. Right, The Spirit is being poured out on flesh, and everyone begins to speak in these different languages. Right, So there's people from all different places in the world. They're there, and these one people from one location speaking one language could all of a sudden speak all these different types of languages. It would be as if we had people coming from... China, and Japan, and Germany, and Poland, and Mexico, and all these different countries and languages, and us, who primarily speak English, just knew all these languages. We could just start speaking in all these random languages. That's what's happening in Acts 2. Now, understandably so, uh, people get a little bit weirded out by this, and they assume, okay, these people must be drunk, right? They're just like, this doesn't make any sense, and which has honestly always confused me a little bit because I've been around drunk people and they usually get dumber, not smarter. So I don't know how they thought like they're learning new languages, but that's their explanation. They're like, okay, well, they must be drunk because they're speaking in languages they didn't know when they walked in the room. So that's their assumption. So Peter, the apostle Peter, he stands up and he begins to preach a sermon for everyone to hear. And he preaches his sermon from Joel 2, 28, through thirty-two, If you look at Acts 2, 17-21, if you just put your eyes over it, you'll notice that's the, that's the exact text that we have for this morning. He's using this text to preach the very first sermon. Now, I won't read the whole sermon for the sake of time, but essentially this is Peter's argument. He's saying, you know what Joel prophesied about? That the Spirit coming on all flesh, that God's presence would be with his people one day? He's saying, you're experiencing that right now. He said this, that the day of the Lord is beginning right now. The last days are here because the Spirit is being poured out. And we know that because God is proving it. There we're speaking in languages that we didn't know. And honestly, if you read through Acts, oftentimes when people speak in tongues, it's not just some crazy experience. It's to prove that the Spirit of God is inside that people group. So he's just proving that hey, the Spirit is being poured out. Now, Peter goes on to say, there's one way that you can receive this. There's one way that you can receive the presence of God, the very spirit that Joel prophesied about. There's one way. As you read through Acts 2, you'll find him say that the way to receive this is through how God offered up Jesus as a sacrifice for people. He sent Jesus to be King and Lord and Christ over his people. Yet Peter says, you killed him. You put him on a cross and you killed him. Yet in that act, Jesus not only died, but he forgave all people that trust in him of their sins. He said, Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose again. Jesus is not a dead religious figure. He is now a risen king, he said that the spirit and the presence of God comes to those who trust in Jesus. Now understandably so, again, the people are baffled at this and they say, okay, what do we do? Like, how do we become saved then? Or to use Joel's language, how do we receive this promise? How do we get the presence of God? How do we get our sins forgiven? And Peter says this, look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, which is the Holy Spirit, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Did you catch all of the the language from Joel in this section? I mean, he says first, repent. If you've been here at all in our Joel series, you've probably heard us say repent a thousand times. He's using this language and saying, Hey, repent and be baptized. Right? I mean, he's saying, turn from your sins, go into the water, dead in your sins, and come out alive in Christ. As the water flows off of you, so too it symbolizes the Spirit of God who's now flowing into you. He, he says, the gift. Of the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you, that you will receive the presence of God in your heart. He says this promise that we're talking about today of God's presence is for all people. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person in the world has God's Spirit in them, but it means that all types of people could now have His presence. It's not just for the spiritual elite in Israel, He said, anybody who trusts in the name of Jesus Christ. Has the very presence of God. I mean, think about how crazy that is. The the person with the weakest and tiniest and just littlest faith that Jesus Christ forgave them of their sins has the same presence of God as the greatest theologian who has ever lived. Like, think about how crazy that is. The same presence of God is in all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. And Joel ends, as Peter does, by saying, All of this is for those whom the Lord calls to himself. And That forces me to ask for anyone in the room. You feel the Lord calling you this morning. Stirring something in your heart this morning. The people that heard this message of Peter's. says they were cut to the heart and they had to know how can I be saved? How can I have the presence of God? How can the Holy Spirit come to me? How can I have forgiveness of sins? And Peter simply says repent and be baptized. Believe in Jesus to turn away from your sins and get baptized. And so I would just encourage you this morning, if if you do not have the presence of God in your life, if your sins have not been forgiven, would you trust in the name of Jesus? Turn from your sins and next week get baptized, right? Like, Like, would you trust in Jesus to wash you of your sins and then show that through the physical act of baptism? And and can I say for, for the Christians in the room, man, it, I think we'd be if we if we didn't catch the missional call here that this gives us. Like if you have the presence of God in your life, can we recognize that there is a lost and hurting world that may not even know that their souls are longing for this presence? Would we tell them of this? Would we with courage like Peter stand up and say there is a way to be forgiven of your sins, to be new, to get rid of your shame, and to have the presence of God in your life? Like, like in my story, when the when the coworker grabbed me by the hand and guided me to the presence of my dad to make all things right in my life, would we do the same? Would we take our friends and our families and guide them to the presence of their heavenly Father, Would we turn to Jesus? You know, Joel tells us in his text, you have to call on the name of the Lord. Peter says, specifically, you call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Would we do that this morning? Now, I want to end this way. I want to end by sharing with you that this message, um, this is not just an intellectual speech uh, that I came up with this week. I, I hope you can tell this is actually... Um, this text, I feel like over the last two weeks, I needed as much as, or maybe more than anyone in the room. Um, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago now, uh, I had a string of just rough days. I mean, you guys know. What I, I mean, you guys have them. It's just where it's, days are just hard. Ministry got really hard. There was one day in particular uh, where I went from back-to-back-to-back meetings, and the first one was a guy who, um, he's got these enormous medical bills, and and he's a follower of Jesus, but because of some immigration issues, he can't work, and and so he wants to make money, but he can't, he's got these huge bills. He's got no way to pay for them. He had to have these procedures done, and he was just frustrated and hurt and just wondering why this stuff was happening to him. I just felt like, man, as a pastor, I'm supposed to encourage in that moment? Like, life just seemed bleak. It seemed unfair, right? And then I I went straight from that meeting to another meeting uh, with a couple who I talked to about how they had just recently had a miscarriage, which is one of maybe four or five couples in our church, in our small church, that recently have had a miscarriage. I'm sitting there, and that's not to mention the people here for you guys that have lost other loved ones or have pain in your life, and I'm just thinking, man, I'm supposed to give hope in this? Like, like, death just seemed so real. It seemed so present and hurtful in that moment. And then I went to another guy, and, and he was telling me, man, he finally got this kind of dream job that he was looking for. And, and he was there for a few weeks, and he said, you know what? I really thought this was going to satisfy me, and I'm just as <laughs> discontent as I was before. Now, that one I knew. I said, well, I, I told you that. So I knew the words for that one, but... But it's still hurtful. I'm like, man, this this stinks. He thought his soul was longing for this job. He finally got what his heart longed for, and he realized it didn't fill me. And all of that is not to mention, however, the last couple weeks, I feel like God has just kind of opened, maybe lifted a veil in my life just to see the sin that plagues my own heart. I mean, I just went sin after sin. God just revealed it to me in excruciating ways. And, And I remember last week there was a point Uh, I I sat in our living room with my wife, and we sat there, man, for over an hour. I just, I legitimately, as much as I could make sense of it, I mean, I was just wrestling with God. Like, I'll be honest, I felt like a miserable sinner. I don't know if you guys ever had this moment. I just felt dirty, I felt sinful, I felt pathetic. I felt like an inadequate pastor. I mean, to be honest, I was there, and I felt like a lost sheep in the flock of God. I was just sitting in my living room, just... Just toiling over all of this. I mean, I felt exhausted. I felt like I was emotionally wrestling with God until there was a moment, an hour or two in, that I had to finally submit, and I'm telling you, I don't know really how to explain it, but I finally had to just say, I just want God. (laughs) Like, I am tired of that. I just want Christ, (laughs) Like, I just want the Spirit of God right now more than, more than anything else. I don't know what else to do or say. I just want God. And I'm telling you, maybe more than any other time in my life, in that moment, my heart desired and longed for Christ to be present. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't want anything else. I just wanted Christ. And when that happened, I said to, to Bailey, my wife, after about two hours of wrestling, I just said, man, Bailey, my heart is weary. <laughs> I just felt tired. I was, my soul is weary. And you know what she did? This is going to make us sound uber spiritual, uh, which this is rarely happens in our house. But instead of just praying or instead of just saying, hey, like it's going to be okay. You're not that bad. She, just, she actually just sang over me. Now, I know that sounds uh, maybe a little bit weird, but did you know in, in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul says that we are to address one another with songs hymns and spiritual songs. I know we think that means, let's come together and let's all sing to God, but he says, let's address one another with these things. And you know, it may be weird, and it is kind of, but if you've ever been sang to or sang over, it is a powerful thing. And in that moment, she sang a song that became the words to my heart's prayer that I just couldn't muster up. I just couldn't do it myself. I couldn't say those words, how desperately I longed, for God, and she sang them in, my mo- in that moment. I longed for the presence of God, and she sang my prayer to him. And so um, this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to invite up uh, Bailey and then a couple of the band members. And what we're going to do is, for all of you this morning, that maybe you feel that this morning. Maybe you just need to know that God is near Maybe you just need the presence of God in your life this morning. Maybe you've been striving after things and God has either ripped them away or he has said no or maybe he's given them to you and you realize my heart hasn't longed for God in a long time. The band's gonna play a song, the very song that she sang over me that night when my heart was weary Uh, and and I just wanna encourage you guys, let this be, if that's you this morning, let this be your heart's prayer. If you feel like maybe you've been wrestling, or you've been in a spiritually dry season, or God has just not felt close to you, would you let these words, as you just sit and listen, would you let these words be the heart prayer that maybe you don't have the words for? Let this be the song of your soul that maybe you can't muster up this morning. And and as she sings, just cling to this. And let's as a church, let's run after God together. let's, Let's... Strive for him and say that we want him more than anything else.
1: Oh I fix my eyes on you The founder and the finisher
0: For your presence. God, we pray that you would help us fix our eyes on you. More than anything else, God, help us want you. God, we are grateful that that you ruthlessly rip whatever away from our hearts just to feel you. God, we praise you for all the things that you give us, for all the things that you do for us. But more than anything, God, we thank you for your presence.